Have you ever stressed yourself out with the illusion of a timeline? Do you think you have to be at a certain milestone by a certain age? Today, Laura Benke, the founder of the Life Actually Company and host of the Life Actually Podcast, talks about having that dream job as a sports reporter and why she decided to leave that job after 16 years to pursue dreams of her own. She talks about why some of the pressures we face are absolute crap and how we should fall in love with the lives we are living by ditching those timelines and setting our standards high. You are tuning in to For Better Self and Net Worth Podcast. This is a podcast where I encourage you to live the life of your dreams by adopting the right mindset, navigating through tough challenges, and respecting your bank account. I interview entrepreneurs and empire builders from across the globe as they share how they have come to live the lives of their dreams and the challenges they had to break through. I also have a few solo episodes where I talk about the lessons learned and navigating in a world full of naysayers, negative mindsets, and money grabbers. I personally believe that attitude is everything, and with the right attitude, you can get the life that you dream of. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you're listening, make sure you have hit the subscribe button and on Apple, give me some love by leaving a review. Most of all, I hope every episode you hear on here leaves you inspired and on fire to live your best life without breaking the bank. Hello, hello, my friends. Thanks again for joining me this week for for Better Self and Net Worth podcast. I have an amazing guest with us today. She's got so much insight. Her name is Laura Benke. She is based out of California. She is a writer, a public speaker. She's a former sports reporter and the host of the Life Actually podcast. She's got so much value for us and so much advice to give us today. And it's my pleasure to introduce you to Laura. So Laura, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Give us a background and what you do. Well, first of all, Ella, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and have a chance to chat with you. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned the sports reporter part. That is how I started my career, my my adult career. Uh, I was a TV sports anchor and reporter for about 16 years. And uh, I left the business almost four years ago. We're coming up on that anniversary, which is crazy. Uh, Because when you spend so much time in one business, especially a business like TV, where it is so cutthroat, it is so difficult, it is, uh, it, it, there are the rewards are great, but it can be really hard to to get to some of them. And so the idea of leaving a career that you spent 16 years building up because you were really ready for something new. It, it was it was pretty scary. And it's kind of crazy that it's now been four years and I've kind of come out on the other side because that was a huge part of, of having that chapter of my life. end. I spent some time really struggling with who I was because I'd always, and I hadn't realized this until I left, I had always tied my identity into what I did for a living and into the fact that I was a sports reporter. And so when I didn't have that anymore, it was like, whoa, what? 
what is going on with my life. Uh, but you know, it took, it took some time to really decide what it was that I wanted to do. I, I knew I was ready to work for myself. And one of the big things in TV is you are, you are very, very much an employee. You are really underneath whatever network or uh, television station you currently have a contract with. They, they control so much about you because that's just, just the way TV is. So they controlled my name, my voice, my likeness. I couldn't do anything on my own. I wasn't allowed to have opinions, which I understand. You need to be impartial when you're a journalist. Uh, but I, I got to the point where I realized like, I'm ready to be me. Like I, I'm ready to do work for me and to be able to, to talk about things that actually matter to me. And I was also really tired of this idea of perfection that I felt like I had to have being in TV and that I had to be this, this perfect, not only reporter, but this perfect woman always together. Uh, no, no issues. Couldn't be a hot mess. Even, even for a minute, like it just, it always had to be perfect. And that, was really, really exhausting. And I started to just really embrace the idea of, of shedding all of that. And so after 16 years of, of trying to put out this idea of who I wanted people to think I was, I finally started talking about me and talking about the experiences that I had actually had in my life. And uh, my timeline is, is unique. All of our timelines are unique, but I, uh, while I was very successful in TV, I still felt very much like a failure for a lot of my adult life because I was single. And it took me a very, very long time <laughs> to meet my husband. I was 35 and a half when I met him and he was actually the first real relationship that I had ever had. So I struggled with a lot when it came to being single, a lot of these internalized beliefs and ideas about what being single actually said about me. And I realized that I was not the only person who felt that way. So I started actually sharing my experiences, being real, authentic, actually talking about the really tough stuff, the things that we don't want to talk about because we don't want people to, to always know when we're struggling, but that it's so important to be able to acknowledge that we're struggling so that other people know that it's okay if they are too. So that is how I came up with the, the company that I, I currently have called the Life Actually Company. And uh, now I am a coach. I work with women, a lot of single women, but women in general, because whether it's that you're single or that you don't have the career you think you should have by a certain point, you don't have kids, whether it's by choice or not, but all these ideas that society puts on us about how we are supposed to live our life and the effect that that actually has on us. Uh, I help women undo that. I help women kind of bust these, these expectations that we've set for ourselves that may not actually be realistic for the life we're living. And that doesn't make it any less of an amazing awesome, rewarding, successful life. Sometimes we just have to shift our perspective about it. So, so that's what I do now. You mentioned the podcast, Life Actually podcast. It's an extension off of that. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I do. I spend, I spend my time trying to basically shatter societal norms, if that makes sense. Um, so that's my very long-winded response to that question. Yeah, that is completely refreshing for me because I know since, I guess since college, when my life was starting to begin, there was a lot of pressure to meet a certain timeline, to 
find a husband, to get married, have kids. And even when I'm meeting with certain people, if I see certain friends, they're going to ask what's new with me. And I can talk about my career. I can talk about my podcast. I can talk about traveling, all the events I'm going to. But what it boils down to is a lot of people are measuring me by my dating status. Yes. Some people will ask me how, oh, what's new with you? Have you been on any dates? Like, <laughs> out of breath, people will ask me that. And I don't understand why, I don't know if it's just a Southern thing, or if it's all over the world, why women are being measured based on relationship status and if they have children or not. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It really, really is. Um, you know, it's these these messages that we are sent as little girls, like from, from the moment that we start watching Disney movies, like these ideas of what we are supposed to do. We have to find Prince Charming. We have to get married. Maybe we want to have a career in all of that too, but it also needs to be sandwiched with having a husband or a partner and having kids then following that whole trajectory. And it's something that people have internalized so much that not only do they feel it for themselves, but they feel this impulse to, to try and ask everybody else about their life too, and, and make sure everybody else is following this idea of how it's supposed to go as well. And it's just, uh, it's so deeply ingrained in all of us that there's, there's a lot of work that we need to do to try and dismantle that and out of this idea that there is one way to live a happy and successful life because it is just, uh, it's totally, totally not true. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Disney movies. I was more of a goosebumps kid, but even my favorite movie, Legally Blonde, that's about breaking down the stereotypes, being one way, appearing one way, but actually getting things done. You found out that Elle Woods was a very dynamic lawyer, that she graduated top of her class, no matter what everybody said about her. But guess what? At the end of the day, she had to end up with somebody. Of course. She had to end up with another lawyer. I mean, she went to get revenge on Emmett to show him how smart, or not Emmett, Warren. She had to show him how smart she really was and to break through everybody's stereotypes of her. But what happened at the end of the day, or just any movie, uh, Double Wars Prada, when Anne Hathaway's character becomes successful, she loses her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Women are portrayed as Miranda Priestly, very Uh successful. Oh, she's, she's a stone cold bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, I'm glad you mentioned The Devil Wears Prada. I love that movie. I, I love the fashion. I, I like the movie more than the book, but that was like, I, I put that movie on just for fun, but it makes me so angry the way they portray this idea that as soon as a woman starts working, that she loses her friends and her boyfriend. It's like, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Like, this is what you do when you first graduate from college. You get a job that, that, sometimes really sucks or that that forces you to work a lot of hours and with people that maybe are terrible like that's how it goes and the way they portray this idea that well then that means she loses everything else in her life it's like oh but she got pretty close I mean it's so it's rom-coms are I'm I've always loved them I have a love-hate relationship with them but they are so bad they're so bad for us they just they constantly tell us yeah sure you can go do whatever you want but make sure you end up with the guy at the end 
Yeah. I think my parents should know when they hear this, they should be grateful that I was a goosebumps kid. <laughs> I was into a lot of the creepy stuff. I, I'm more of a Harry Potter fan than I am a Disney fan. Good. Maybe they should be grateful for that because <laughs> it taught me that my self-worth wasn't engrossed in a relationship status. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember being a little girl, like six, seven years old, uh, playing with Barbies. I was obsessed with Barbies and I would play with my neighbor friends and we would, you know, we had all the clothes, we had the, the house. It was just, we had this little like whole world for Barbie. And every single time we played, it was always the same thing. How are Barbie and Ken going to get married? It was always the way we, that was the story that we just kept doing over and over and over again. And I had Barbie clothes that were like, you know, business casual clothes, but no, it was, how is Barbie going to get in that white dress and Mary Ken? That is a crazy, and that's very observant to remember that at six years old. Oh, I, I remember it so well because that, that wedding dress was probably the most worn out dress of all of my Barbie clothes. And it would, yeah, that was what we did. We always, Barbie walked down the aisle and then we're like, okay, cool. What, what should we go play next? Like it was always what it was. Mm-hmm. Or, Hey, we watched Snow White and Sleeping Beauty without really fully understanding what that meant. It's like, okay, I die. A prince has to kiss me for me to come back to life. <laughs> yes. Oh, but it's so romantic. No, it's not. No, no that's it's not. Creepy. The real grim yeah. fairy tales were so messed up. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, they are. Disney has, you know, they're they're trying, but it's it's just, uh, these these stories are just so they're so deep, and um, yeah, when we internalize them at such a young age, that's a really difficult thing to shed as we actually then get into the real world and see what life is actually like, instead of being like, oh, wow, those stories were so not applicable to my life. We think, what am I doing wrong that I'm not following those stories? Absolutely. And two other, when you were telling your story, two other successful women came to mind, Sarah Blakely, CEO Mm -hmm. of Space, and Erin Andrews. She's an ESPN reporter. She was on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Now she is on the, she's on NFL sidelines. Mm -hmm. These are two women. Erin Andrews didn't get married until she was almost 40. And yeah, yeah, she is. Yes. She and I, she and I, um, are about a year. She's about a year older than me, I think. And it was very interesting to me how our, our love life in terms, I have no idea what her love life was like. I've only met her a few times, but I have, I, I just know when she got engaged and when she got married and, uh, it was right around the time when I did too. So I was always like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Pathways less. Well, there was an episode of the view that I watched her on and these women were grilling her about if she was freezing her eggs or not. And at one point she had to say, slow down guys. I'm 36 years old. I've been dating this guy for four months and you guys are asking me about babies already. And these feminist women were asking her about this, about her freezing her eggs. I I was blown away. It's crazy. It really, really is. And again, that, that goes back to kind of what we were saying earlier, like this idea of everybody asking you, how are you doing? Well, it means who are you dating? If you are dating somebody, when are you getting married? If you are married, when are you having kids? Like we have this idea and even, yeah, even on a show that's supposed to be more evolved and, and more like women centered in terms of actually valuing things that, that women bring to the table, you still see it, which is what makes it so difficult to be living your own 
timeline and living your unique life. And it's, it's why, it's why so many of us struggle with it. And so often we beat ourselves up because we think, okay, first of all, I don't have the thing that I think I'm supposed to have. I'm really upset about it, but I can't be upset about it because I'm supposed to be a feminist and I'm supposed to be okay with all of this, but no wonder we're upset about it. No wonder we struggle in the way that we do. And so one of my big things I try to talk to women about is it's okay that you don't feel good about everything in your life at every single moment. Like we are going to have these times when we struggle and we have to acknowledge them. We have to acknowledge, you know, say it's it's that you're single. We have to be able to acknowledge that being single and not wanting to be single is hard. It's a really hard thing to have to go through, but it does not mean you are broken. It does not mean you need to be fixed, but it also does mean that you get to acknowledge that it's tough, that it's really tough. Um, And then we can kind of move from there, but all of this like, oh, just be positive. How many times when I was single did people tell me, if you're just positive, if you think positive, then you'll meet him. It's like, okay, all right. If it were that easy, people, no one who didn't want to be (laughs) single would be single. Uh, But yeah, we just, we have these ideas about how, not only how we're supposed to do things, but how we're supposed to feel about it. And we are all unique. We all get to feel what we need to feel when we need to feel it. Yes. And I've also heard, they say, think positive. I've also heard well, love yourself first, love yourself first. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I've always had, in most of my life, I've always had a healthy self-esteem, confidence, and a self-worth. And I will say self-love is the best love, mm-hmm. but sometimes loving yourself means your options are going to be smaller in who you date. Now you can look at that yeah. as weeding out the bad guys, but self-love, it makes you, it forces you to have higher standards and what you put up with. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, I am all about helping women really embrace and love the life that they are living, but I struggle so much with the phrase, you have to fully love yourself before anyone else can love you. You hear it all the time. And I, I get the point of it, that, that, that it is most important that we develop the relationship with ourselves. Everything else flows from that. I get that. But I think it's also really important to know you don't have to get to some specific point of self-revelation and self-love in order, order to be worthy of love. I mean, that's a, that is a, a lifelong process that we are working on, but you don't have to get to a certain point before it's like, oh, okay, so now somebody can love me. Now I'm lovable. You are lovable right now. You are absolutely capable and worthy of love right now. And that doesn't mean that that it's not important to be developing, excuse me, developing our relationship with ourselves to be really working on finding out what we want and what we need and what makes us happy. But I, I, you know, I feel like when women hear that you must love yourself fully before someone can love you, it makes you feel like, oh my gosh, okay, so I have to do something first. I have to fix myself or I have to get to this point and, and then I'll be worthy of love. You are right now. You, I promise you, you are right now. Yeah. And people are enough. And also they say your self-love journey is a lifelong journey. As you said, Mm -hmm. it's something you're constantly evolving and changing. So you have to learn that you have to know yourself first too. I think Aristotle said the first step of wisdom is knowing yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to put just as much into a relationship with yourself as any partnership 
take yourself on vacation, take yourself on a date and really get to know yourself. Yeah. Oh, I totally, totally agree. And yeah. And that's like, that's a life long thing. That is so, so very important to be able to have that type of relationship with yourself because so many great things come from that. You know, I, I, I do very much appreciate the fact that I did not meet my husband until I was 35. I didn't appreciate it when I was single and, and wondering what the heck was going on, but I appreciate it now because over those 35 and a half years, I spent a lot of time with myself and really understanding who I was and what I wanted. And when I had friends who were getting married at 22 or 23 and you know, some of the marriages lasted, some of them didn't. And it's not to say that if you do get married at a young age, you're doomed to fail. That's not true. But for some people learning who you are and getting that chance to really, really get to the bottom of what you want and what you need only makes for a stronger relationship down the line when it, when it comes into your life. Absolutely. Well, tell us about some of the challenges that you've had to overcome to build your business. Oh, well, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> there's, there, <laughs> there's, you a, like? <laughs> there's a, you know, you. there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot, uh, so much that goes into it. And I, I, I love this question because I think it's so important again, to be transparent, not only in, in personal lives and love lives and relationships and all of that, but also on the business side and professional side of things, you know, there are so many messages out there of, you know, just hustle, just do this, just do that. Follow my two steps or my 10 steps or whatever it is. And to seven figures, you know, you see that all over the place and it makes it seem like it's so easy. Uh, And whether you're starting your own business, whether you're making just a career change, that stuff is hard. Uh, I would say the, the biggest challenge for me, and it continues to be my biggest challenge is worrying that I don't know what I'm doing, which is so common. I think so many of us feel it no matter what we do. We all have moments where we're like, what am I doing? But suddenly when it's your business and you, you know, you, you don't have a boss to go to, to tell you what to do. Uh, especially when I was first starting out and first trying to get things going and really trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And the message that I wanted to send, I just kept thinking, you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. I spent, I spent, you know, the first 16 years of my career following a set path of how to advance and how to get to the next job. And then the next job, like there was a, there was a pretty good formula at the time that I could follow. And I had people guiding me too. And now it was all on my own. And uh, yeah, just the, these, these beliefs that we have, um, the messages that we send ourselves about what's going on and what we should be doing, that has been a huge, huge challenge for me, for sure. One of the best things that I did when I was first really developing the concept behind the Life Actually Company uh, was to hire a business coach because I knew like, if I don't have a boss... I need somebody who I can at least bounce ideas off of who can kind of help guide me in certain ways. Cause, cause I, in many ways, I did not know what I was doing. I'd never started a company before. I still don't really necessarily know what I'm doing some days. Um, but that was a huge, huge help in kind of breaking down these barriers because I found myself, especially at first 
when I, I kind of knew what I had to do, but I didn't necessarily know how to do it because I had not done it before. So my first instinct, and I found this so interesting. My first instinct was, oh, I can't do it. I don't know how instead of I'm going to learn how. So I really had to kind of shift that in my, in my brain. Again, that's just falling into all the limiting beliefs that we set for ourselves. You know, you can figure it out or you can find somebody who can help you figure it out. There's always, always those options. But I would say that really, really one of the biggest challenges uh, for me has just been overcoming a lot of the stories that I've been telling myself about what I can and cannot do. And I just feel like sometimes I think imposter syndrome is almost a symptom of passion Ooh, and doing what you want to do. If you just see it everywhere, every, and I, I'm not saying men don't struggle with it either, but every woman I know that has been successful, whether they're in politics whether they're a CEO of a business, coaches, even, even me starting this podcast, I kind of think, you know, well, I'm just an amateur. What do yeah. I bring to this? And you always find yourself questioning it. And I also think perfectionism is a way that post- imposter syndrome will come into your life. Oh, yes. Because you're, I, I mean, I know when I listen to my first episodes, even my first episode of the show, I cringe and I hear myself saying, uh, or, um, or taking pauses and rushing through my sentences. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I listening to? <laughs> but we're always more critical of ourselves than other people are of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, when I first heard Brene Brown talk about perfectionism is when it really hit home for me, because I I've always been one of those people who's like, Oh yeah, I I'm a perfectionist. It's kind of like a humble brag type of a thing. Like, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I shouldn't do it, but, but guys, I'm a perfectionist. So, you know, this, this is really important to me. If I don't, I really clung to that. And when I heard first heard Brene Brown talking about perfectionism and how it is actually, it is not a good thing. It is holding us back in so many ways. This idea that we think we have to be perfect keeps us from just improving and just keep you know, moving forward in certain ways. And so it's like, oh my goodness, I need to stop calling myself a perfectionist and stop thinking of myself as a perfectionist. I need to be, I just need to do. And that, that was huge for me because yeah, perfectionism always felt like it's something I shouldn't do, but it's actually kind of says that I just work really, really hard. Does it? (laughs) No, for me, it meant I was holding myself back from doing a lot of things because I didn't think that right off the bat, I could be a total pro at it. Yeah. And hustle culture. I talked about oh. this someone. It's talking about how hard you work as a badge of honor. Yes. When I was doing that for so many years, just talking about the hours I worked, what I put in, it was almost like a way that I would just rationalize myself. And I would wear that as a badge of honor when really that said, I don't take enough time for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid to say, I'm afraid to say no. I said, mm-hmm. that's something I've struggled with for a while, setting boundaries and saying no. I did an entire episode on that. And that is what led to a lot of exhaustions that I've had and to a lot of mistakes I've made in life is inability to say, no, I actually acquired a lot of depth in my twenties because I wanted to support my friends and their businesses, or I wanted to, you know, go, I didn't want to miss out on a trip that my friends were going on. And I look back and it's like, why didn't I make the best decision for myself? But I had to learn that. 
Oh, and I mean, always hustle. We see that everywhere. It's on mugs, yeah. it's on t-shirts, it's on, you know, going to home goods and you can find like 8 million always hustling posters that you can put up on your walls. Like it is everywhere. And I, you know, I think we have, so many of us have this idea that if I'm not going, 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 then I'm not doing anything and that it's that I'm wasting my time. And yet there is so much power in moments of not doing anything or in giving ourselves these, these breaks or, you know, whatever that break actually looks like for you. But this idea that you have to be, who wants to be working all the time? I mean, is that success? Is that success that you don't get to enjoy your life because you're always hustling? That is not my idea of success. And I really had to challenge myself about a year ago. Um, I was still, you know, very much in the beginning phases of, of growing my business. And yet I had so many very difficult things come up in my personal life. Um, I lost my father-in-law and my father within uh, five months of each other. My husband and I were struggling with IVF and trying to get pregnant and having all of these failures. And I got to this point where I was like, I can't, I can't, I have nothing right now. Like I just, I can't. And I unplugged, I put everything that I was doing in my business on hold. I stopped going on Instagram. I stopped social media for about four months and it was the best thing. And I acknowledge I was very privileged that I was able to do this, but it was the best thing that I could have done for myself. And trust me, Almost every day I was like, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. You are not doing, oh my God, you're not doing anything. What's going, like, this is so bad. But at the same time, I knew that what the work that I wanted to do was so important to me. I had to be able to come at it in a, in a way and from a mental standpoint of being all in and being ready to put everything that I had into it. And I didn't have it at that point. I, I needed to take care of myself. I needed to get through that. I needed to get out of the difficult time that I was in. And after those four months, I also didn't, I didn't set a deadline of when I was coming back. I just, one day I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to feel ready. And that was a huge turning point then for me, for my business, for the way I looked at my business, for the way that I looked at how I wanted to run a business. Do I want to be that? Like, I'm going to make seven figures a year and I'm going to work 80 hours a week. No, for me personally, that wasn't what I wanted. And, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's different. Everybody's different. But this idea that you had, there's this like standard of hustle that you have to do. And if you don't, then you're going to be completely unsuccessful is not fair. Not fair at all. And yeah, the hustle culture, I think we're finally having the conversations that we don't have to exhaust ourselves to be a valuable member of society. Yeah. And really to be the best version of ourselves, we have to take care of ourselves. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what self-care is. I mean, self-care is not necessarily like, oh, buy this really expensive face cream. It's going to make you feel good about yourself. If that's yeah. what you want to do to feel good, cool, do it. But self-care is, it is a form of, of defiance. It's saying I deserve to take care of myself mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally before I can take care of anybody else or anything else in the, at the level that I know I need to be able to do it. Yes. Very good. Very good. Well, what are some of the goals that you have 
within the next six months? And where do you see yourself in six years? This is a great question. And uh, this, I think it, this is important too. I, I, I want to, I want to be super honest, you know, about having my business and the way that I am choosing to run it um, in the way that's best for me. So the next six months, oh my goodness, I have no idea. Um, and I, 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 had about six months ago, if you would have asked me six, seven months ago, I've been like, okay, this is kind of how I feel. This is what I'm going to do. Um, but I actually, we finally did have a round of IVF that worked and I'm actually pregnant and due in December. Um, yeah. So I, have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. And uh, I'm a you know, first time mom, I'll be 42 when she's born, which is crazy. I did not plan it this way, but I am so happy that everything is going in the way that it has. Um, but it's been really, and even when I first found out I was pregnant, I still was like, okay, these are all the things you have to do before the baby is born. You have to do this in the business, this, 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 that, the other, make this much money, do these many programs, all, all of this stuff. And I just found that, first of all, I didn't feel well to begin with. And then my top priority is having a healthy baby. And for me, that meant eliminating some of the stress that that didn't necessarily have to happen right now. I realized that the only reason that I was really struggling to, to like force myself to have this jam-packed schedule, like literally up until my due date was because I wanted, I, I like wanted people to think, oh, wow, look at her. She's doing it all. And which is such a common thing women feel in so many ways, whether it's being a mom, what, what, whatever it is, like these ideas that we're super women and we have to be able to do everything. And if we don't, oh, wow, well, she kind of let that go. And, you know, you, you feel like you're judged. And I was like, do I, do I actually want to do all of this stuff right now? No, I want to be able to keep working, but at a level that I can start dialing back as I get closer and closer to my due date so that I can focus on this pregnancy, this baby, and, and having the best experience that I can have. And that was, that was what mattered the most to me. So, um, so yeah, I kind of cut back on a lot of those plans, relieved a lot of my own stress, was able to just kind of go through this process for the first time. And it will be the only time. So that's, that was another thing. Like I really wanted to make sure I enjoyed or was present for all stages of this, uh, this adventure. Um, and that I would be able to start dialing things back in the fall and be ready to ease my way into welcoming this baby into the world. So that then kind of goes into, well, what do I do afterwards? And again, this idea that so many women have that we have just thrust upon us, we have to come back quickly. You have to be like better than ever. You have to be the best mom ever, but then also you have to be the best career person ever. And there can't be any lag time. And you just like bounce back and that's how it has to go. And so I struggled with that for a bit when I was trying to plan, like, how will things go after I have the baby? And I gave myself permission to kind of let that go. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen, how I'm going to feel, um, what life is going to be like. And so I don't want to set specific 
goals or benchmarks or things that I feel I have to do by a certain point. Uh, I, I will be back. I, I have, I have plenty of plans, uh, but I just don't know exactly how it's going to look and what's going to happen once this baby is finally here. And I really want to be able to give myself that time to figure it out without feeling all these pressures of what I should have to do as a working mom. Uh, and I, I also acknowledge my privilege in being able to do that and being able to lean on my husband during that time so that I can really figure out how I want to move forward and when I want to move forward. And I know not all women have that ability and we could talk, I could talk on and on about that for a while, but um, I do. And so I, I'm wanting to take that and to really not set specific expectations um, for how it's all supposed to work. So six years from now, that's a little, <laughs> that's easier and harder, uh, but at least, you know, I, I have so many things that I know that I want to do. I want to be able to expand my, my coaching business. I have, um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also do group coaching for single women. I want to be able to continue that and enhance that because <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. One of the pregnancy symptoms that I have is that I lose my voice. <laughs> so every, every day I lose my voice, which is why I'm, I'm starting to, uh, have to clear my throat a little bit. So I apologize for that, but no worry. Uh, <laughs> I want to be able to, you know, expand that, enhance the coaching experience. Uh, I have, I, there will be books. I have, I, I have ideas. Um, and I know what I want to be able to write about. And so I, I hope to be able to publish my first book within the next year or two. Uh, I want to, uh, be able to speak to more women, um, on, you know, a, a deeper level, uh, I want to be able to continue my podcast for sure. And have that just, um, gain more of an audience and have more people know about it and have it be a resource that they can come to. Uh, and I want to develop, a, I really want to develop a community. A membership community is something that is very much in my, in my plans. Um, again, I'm not sure exactly when and how it will come together, but I really want a space where women can come and gather and find a commonality in our differences, you know, and co find common ground in the fact that so many of our plans in life have not gone accordingly and, uh, and how we go from there, how we, how we move on from there and move forward from there, uh, and community and that type of support is so, so helpful and so important and so nurturing. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's it. And then also the, you know, I guess the, one of the big things that I've always tried to say to myself, even when I was in TV is I don't want to set like this idea of this is my dream job. This is my dream business. This is my dream profession, whatever it is, because things come up that you don't even know about. So in six years, oh my gosh, I, I could be doing something that right now I can't even, I don't even know it exists. And so that that's exciting. So I, you know, I, I am excited to see how things evolve and where they go, but, um, but yeah, that's some of the stuff that I'm thinking about. Yeah. There's so much wisdom in all of that. I love what you said about, you know, you've got a big life event coming up. You're about to have your first child and not putting so much pressure on yourself because moms especially tend to put a lot of expectations on themselves and so much hold themselves in a position. I had a friend tell me last week, she said, you know, mothers can't fail. They, they have no choice, but to make it, but to mm -hmm. succeed because they've got somebody else relying on them. And 
I just can't imagine that kind of going through with that kind of pressure and what kind of pressure you guys face. And that just another way of perfectionism. I mean, whenever people are pregnant, they, they do have a checklist of what all they need before the baby gets there. There's so much stress leading up to something that, and then weddings too. I see that. I see there's oh. so much stress around yes. what's supposed to be. I mean, I, I hope one day is not the happiest day of anyone's life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that kindly. And I don't think your wedding day should be the happiest day of your life. I think you should continue finding happiness after throughout your whole life, whether you get married or not, but there's so much pressure around being a mother, being a wife that you almost forget to enjoy the miracle of it all. Yes, exactly. And I did not want that to happen uh, with this, especially, you know, we worked so hard to get to a point where this could actually be possible. And I feel like I deserve, uh, you know, I, and I'm able to do it. That's another thing I do. I just want to keep saying, I stressing that I recognize the privilege that I have, that not every woman is able to do this, but I deserve to be able to make that choice for myself. And I wish more women were, were able to do that as well. But for me, this is what is best. And I, I don't have to explain it to anybody. I just have to do what works the best for me. And, uh, there's, there's power that comes in that. And there's a, you know, there's a, a, a piece that can come with that as well. And knowing, you know, I'm going to do what's best for me, regardless of what other people might think. I love it. And that's what everyone, regardless of what other people think, regardless of like outside circumstances, everyone deserves a chance to say, let me do what's best for me. Yes, 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 yes. So true. And you're wanting to write a book Well, tell us about a book that you've read that's had a great impact on you and your life. Yeah, that's a great question. I've got, I've got a few that initially come to mind. Um, One of them is called, it's this little book. I I love it. It's this beautiful little book called how to survive the loss of a love. It's by three different people, uh, an MD, a PhD, and then I guess the poor third guy doesn't have a a title, but you know, (laughs) it's, it's this beautiful book about grief. And I think we have this idea, so many of us have this idea that we're only allowed to grieve and use that word grief for like huge things. Somebody dies, something, you know, we, we break up from a long-term relationship. We have a divorce, whatever it is, like these humongous things. And yes, those need to be grieved, but there are so many things in our life that when we lose them, we need to be able to process and deal with that. And so this idea that anytime you lose the loss of a love, whether it is a person, it's something that you love, it's a way, I mean, the pandemic, that that took away our, the thing that we loved, which was the way we, we lived our life. It changed everything. So that's why grief has been such a huge part of this pandemic of, of grieving the way our lives have changed and the way things have happened. And so this, this book, it's such a, it's such a very simple, easy read. And it's just this wonderful reminder of how to take care of yourself and how to allow yourself permission to grieve the difficult things in life. Uh, and I, I give this book to the, the women who join my group coaching program because we, we talk about it. And I think it scares them at first. They're like, grief, I don't want to talk about grief. What do you mean? I don't want to talk about grief. And 
but it's so important. It's, you know, there's, there's this idea too, like, well, if I talk about grief because I'm single, then does that mean that I'm grieving that, that I'll never not be single? And no, it's, it's just because you are needing to process the fact that you're grieving being single right now in this moment and how hard that is does not mean this is going to be the way it is the rest of your life, but you deserve to be able to feel the way you're feeling about it right now. So this book is, is fabulous. Um, and then a big one that helped me in business was the big leap got by Gay Hendricks. Oh, I and love helping. That book. Yeah, it's so great. It was the first time I really had this concept of, you know, your zone of genius, your zone of excellence, your, your zone of incompetence, having these ideas that you're not supposed to be able to do it all. <laughs> you're supposed to be able to really figure out the ways and the things that, that make you light you up and the things that really make you happy and that that's what you want to do. And then working on ways to get to the point where that's what you're focusing on instead of all of this other stuff. It was, it was a very helpful thing for me. Yeah. I love, we did the big leap in my book club and you were talking about grief earlier and even being open about it. Women. And I know I'm speaking of myself on this one. We have such a hard time being vulnerable. Oh yes. Letting people know what hurts us and what we're dealing with. And I think a lot of it is, I don't want someone to see, look at me and all like say, Oh, poor girl or poor little me. Or I've also had times where I wanted to be vulnerable and then somebody tried to turn around and fix me. Yes. (laughs) Yep. And either response, just, it really sucks. It does. Oh my goodness. It, It really, really does. And this idea of this is, it's such a human nature thing that we want to, we don't inherently like conflict, especially when it comes to people that we love or care about, like we want them to be happy. We want to make it better. And so our initial reaction is so often, well, let me give you advice. Let me tell you how to fix it. Let's go through this. And oh, when it comes to grief, when it comes to losing something that was so important to you, so it can't be fixed. Like it, it cannot be fixed but it does need to be processed. You do get to feel it. You do get to go through it. And so all anyone supporting you needs to do most often is just listen, is listen and say, how can I help? Or, you know, this is so unfair that this is happening. I am sorry. What can I do? I'm always here. Even if, even if you say there's nothing I can do to help, just know I'm here. I'm listening and that's, that's all you need, but it is, uh, it's really difficult to find that. And then when somebody does try and fix it for you, what it does is it, it invalidates the fact that you are struggling. It kind of makes it seem like, okay, well here, do this and get over it and move forward. And that's, that's not fair. And that's why I just, I love this book so much because it really just breaks down these little things to be able to think about that it's okay. Grief is a part of life. Grief is a part of love. We have grief because we love. So that doesn't make it something we just need to get past and get over. It's a process. That's very comforting to know too, that, you know, instead of shaming yourself for having grief, know that is because you have love. Yeah. You can't have grief without love. You cannot know when my, when my father died, the, the best, the people who were the most helpful understandably so were, were ones who had experienced the loss of a, of a parent, uh, or somebody very, very close to them as well. And I remember one, one friend saying to me, uh, grief is just a new form of love. 
all of the love that you had is that that is why you're feeling so much grief right now. And it's so true. It's so true. We cannot have grief without love. No. And in many cases, we can't have love without grief. Like it is, it is, it's a cycle. It is a cycle because I think to appreciate the love in your life, you kind of have to look at maybe the grief. You have to kind of look at the low points and what it's like without that love. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Love it. And we talked about self-care earlier, and this is a question I ask every guest because it started out as a budgeting podcast and my approach to budgeting, it was a little outside the box is starting with the end in mind. And when I say start with the end in mind, it's what do you like to splurge on? I used to say, what is the one thing you don't budge on now? Starting with the end in mind, the end can be financial freedom. The end can be a vacation you want to go on. The end can be a house you want to buy, whatever that milestone is. But there's always something for every budget, every couponer. Even I have a friend who got named Mrs. Cheap. And she she was being interviewed. I mean, she does not use air conditioning, heat. She goes streams, but that's so she can afford to travel anytime she wants. Yeah. And So I want to ask you, what is the one thing that you will always splurge on? You know, that's, I find, I love this question because it's really, it really made me think about the things that I have prioritized in my life and what I prioritize now. Like if you had asked me this five years ago, certainly when I was in TV, I would have said handbags and shoes. That's what I splurge on, handbags and shoes. And that, that was, that was what I did. Yeah. And you know what? I, I have, my life has changed. My life has evolved. I have different priorities now. And so uh, that is definitely not it. Do I love a good handbag every now and then? Sure, but it is not something that I budget for or save for anymore. Now to me, the most important things are quality vacations and quality travel and putting money into the house that we bought a year ago. <laughs> and those, those things like really drive me. I used to be the person like, okay, if we're going on vacation, I need to find the cheapest hotel, the cheapest car rental, the cheapest everything possible. And that was fine. That was, that was great. Cause then I was going off and buying super expensive handbags. Um, but now I want, it, it's more important to me, the experience and to know that if I do budget the money and if I do have the money, it's okay to spend a little bit more on a hotel, on just a, an experience like that. Uh, and the same thing with the house where we, we bought a house in the Bay area here in California a year ago, moved from New York city, first time homeowners. So this is all totally new to us. Uh, but we have a ton of renovations we want to do. And again, like the, the first thing is we get all these quotes and there's like, Oh, well, that's the cheapest. That's the cheapest. Let's do that. It's like, okay, wait a minute. What do we actually want out of this? What is the quality we want? What is the service level we want? And so to really reframe kind of how I think about that, um, because yeah, I used to cut every corner possible so I could go buy that super expensive handbag. And now now I'm changing. I kind of, I'm in the opposite direction now. (laughs) Well, handbags and shoes, because we carry our purses everywhere. Yeah. And shoes wear down the quickest. Yes. And that is. And handbags and shoes have become a status symbol for women. So much. Yes. Well, funny story. I have a book bag purse that I got from TJ Maxx a couple of years ago. They're selling something very similar to Francesca's at Francesca's now that looks super similar to it. 
everywhere I go, I get compliments on this bag. It was maybe $20, $20, $30. Love it. That's $10 and it's the same quality. Yeah. But it's kind of a light switch. It's like, you know, when I realize that these purses hold up just as well, will I ever, ever buy another $500,000 purse again? Yeah. Really not. <laughs> yep. I know things, priorities change, but it was so important to me to have, especially living in New York city and being on TV. It's like, well, I have to have, I have to have a Prada bag and I have to have Manolo <laughs> Blahniks. And now, and now, especially in the pandemic, I mean, we never go out anymore the way we used to. And I look at my, look at all, you know, my, the ones I haven't sold <laughs> the Manolo Blahniks <laughs> sitting on my, on my, in my closet. And I'm like, oh, you used to really matter to me. And now I ha- I can't even remember the last time I yeah. wore you. <laughs> I've become huge into decluttering. Yeah. And there were some pieces that I had a harder time throwing away based on what I paid for them. Oh, yes. But I was not getting the wear out of it. Yeah. So giving myself that free space declutter, making space for things that I am going to wear. Yeah. That was, I remember that being a huge challenge for me. But then again, it's like, why did I spend all that money on it? Because I had to show people that I was making something out of my life. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nothing to speak for itself. Well, I have loved having you on the show. You have been so inspiring, just so refreshing, so much amazing advice for women. I'm going to recommend this episode specifically to everyone I know, especially you know, especially as city girls who are just trying to find our way in life and trying to figure out what it is we want to do, what we want to put out into the world. I just, I found a lot of things that you said, just extremely powerful. So I want you to let everyone know where we can find you, how we can work with you and continue to support you. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation. It's been so nice to be able to talk about some of these things. And, and I, I just, I, I I love being able to have like these honest, conversations about what's really going on in our life. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, you can find me first and foremost on Instagram. I, that's probably where I spend my most time on social media. I am at Laura B Banky. The last name is B E H N K E. You can also find me at my website, laurabanky.com. And, uh, my, my podcast is called the life actually podcast and it comes out once a week. And it's a different, each week is a different conversation with a different woman who's basically, who is simply telling her story. Cause I am a huge believer that the more we can hear experiences that are unique, that are different, that are not following just the set idea of the way we think life should go. The more we internalize this and the more we start to feel better about the own unique path that our lives are taking. So you can find that uh, anywhere that you get podcasts. Fantastic. I will definitely be subscribing myself. Thank you. Yes. And thank you again for being on. It was my pleasure having you. Mine too. Thank you so much, Ella. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, wait. Hi, it's Ella, the host of For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. I wanted to first of all, thank you for listening and supporting an independent podcast. I'm an aspiring motivational speaker and marketer who wanted to give a platform to other risk takers, empire builders, and out of the box lifers in the world. 
By listening, you are showing support for everyday folks like you and myself pursuing the lives they've always wanted by ditching societal norms and dedicating time to others. To show more support, feel free to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on Spotify. You can also find the show on iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcast, and many other independent platforms. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you are feeling inspired. Thank you.